Biathlon Program Director Seth Hubbard talks about biathlon rifles, training, and how this captivating sport came into being. So my name is Seth Hubbard. I'm the Program Director with Crosscut Mountain Sports Center. So I work with all of our programming from uh, biathlon introduction at U12 ages, so youngest is 10, all the way up through our youth programs, uh, work with our adult programs and with our elite team. And our elite team is uh, split with Nordic, biathlon, and Paralympic sports. And is, is that a program that's been running in at Crosscut for a while or how did that come about? So our elite program in uh, full uh, effect really came about this year. Last year, we had had a program that was essentially came out of just sort of a need in the community for some elite athletes that were here locally and was already starting to work with some of them from the biathlon side. And then as there were some Nordic athletes that you know, we're wanting a group to train with and a program to be part of, we started to incorporate them and had a great year last year, had a, you know, as I would say, it was definitely a case of, you know, the right members for a team to kind of get started in that manner. So this year when we were starting the an official program for it, we had opted to say, you know, let's keep all these channels so that we would have biathlon, cross country and U.S. Paranordic as well. So how does someone get started in biathlon? There's a lot of, like, it's a skill, it's a sport with like so many skills. I haven't ever, I haven't done it in Bozeman. I was in Seattle for 20 years and went up to Whistler and yep. uh, before the Olympics got to do that, you know, the course there as a yeah, community yeah. race and you go and you finish it and you get a beer. It was like the best day I had all winter. It's like, holy cow, skiing around shooting guns. Is there anything cooler than that? So typically the way people are getting involved is if people are lucky enough to be someplace like Bozeman now that does have youth programming available uh, for biathlon, they can get a relatively early introduction to the sport and have the opportunity to you know, be involved from a younger age competitively with it. A fairly common uh, route for people to get into the sport is actually to come in a little bit later on through Nordic sport. So people just because it's a lot more common kind of throughout the U S is having a uh, community Nordic program that would get kids started skiing. And then at some age, they'll get an exposure to biathlon and then they might choose to become more involved. A pretty common one in the U S from the national level has been uh, starting to work with athletes college age and just post college age. Um, that's actually how I originally got pulled into the sport was I was an Nordic ski racer. And when I graduated from college, got pulled into the development program for biathlon. Or, you know, as we get into like our adult ranks, that's been a very common one is, especially here locally, is when there's a program that is geared towards just, again, exposure and participation for adults. Um, a lot of people will get involved at that point. And it's a little bit more from the perspective of, I want a reason to get out and go Nordic skiing with my friends on a weekly basis. And then as people get more involved, you know, they, they might choose to, you know, pursue it as though they would be pursuing running races or biking races as well. Are there uh, like introductory clinics that are, that are free community events or how do you get people in for the first time? We tend to run one to two clinics per winter, um, typically right in the middle of November and then sometime kind of, 
usually depends on what else we have going on for events at Crosscut, but January, February uh, time, we'll have another clinic that is just a, again, people can come in with no experience, don't even have to have experience on skis and just get a chance to have some contact with the sport. Also, again, we're relatively lucky here in kind of the Gallatin Valley and like Southwestern Montana is uh, any of our community events that we run at Crosscut, as well as down in West Yellowstone, there'll be a novice category. And the novice category is very specifically geared towards people who might be showing up who have absolutely no experience with the sport of biathlon. And we just do a very quick introductory uh, safety clinic for people and set up the event so that, you know, even somebody who has no experience could come participate in a race and just get some contact that way. So a lot of people, it's honestly the novice races is where they get their first exposure to it. So for like uh, Nordic skiing at the AXCS and the, um, you know, the world masters, things like that. Mm -hmm. What is the organize? Is there a similar organization for biathlon for uh, adult athletes? Through world masters, there is also a biathlon opportunity and competition for that. Otherwise within the country, the route is through U.S. Biathlon Association is getting involved with that because for masters, well, everything from the national level, we go down to U13 novices, and then we have categories all the way up through the masters categories. So that's domestically and in North America, that's the avenue that people will be getting involved. Okay. And then for equipment with the, the rifle, can you tell us a little bit about the specific requirements of the rifles and where you get those? Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it was 1972, may have been a little bit later in the 70s, but it switched from being uh, essentially a high caliber uh, military round that people were using and skiing to multiple ranges out on course and shooting at either glass targets or paper targets. Um, so you didn't really know what was going on with the race until after you finished and you got all the targets back. Uh, it was in the 70s, I want to say 72, but I'd have to double check on that to be 100%. Um, the sport switched from going high caliber to going 22 long rifle with a rim fire and using just a single range. So now all the loops come right back to it. So at this point, the specifics that we're using is it's a 22 long rifle, very similar to anything you might go purchase at a local gun shop. Has to be a bolt action, can't be a semi automatic or anything to that effect. And we're restricted to five rounds in a magazine. Once you get through those basic specifications, then the ball starts rolling. So we'll have people that, I mean, you can go and spend $300 on a Savage Mark II bolt action rifle and get a bunch of five round magazines. And you can shoot on a 22, like a biathlon range with that. Our novice firearms, that's essentially what somebody is using. Then once people start having to carry their firearms, and using them in inclement weather, that's when it really starts to get a lot more specific. The most popular firearm that people are using is the Onshoots 1827 Fortner action. There's this huge step that ends up happening from you can buy a two, three hundred dollar 22 rifle to you'll spend five thousand dollars on a competition firearm. Once you start using them, yes, like there's functionally quite a difference <laughs> between those two products. But there's a few options kind of spread out in between there. Unfortunately, once you kind of start getting a little bit more involved in the competition end, 
the steps forward start to get pretty significant price wise, yeah. which is why, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we have a lot of club firearms that we try to defray as much of that cost for as long as we can for participants because you know it's well you said you have kids you know if it's a you know 14 year old who's like i love skiing and i love biathlon i really want to do it and the first thing that you encounter is oh we have to spend forty five hundred dollars on a firearm that is a significant limiting piece um so if we can push that back a little bit um before you know so somebody knows that they're you know, really want to be involved in the sport and it's something they're going to do for a while before they make that investment. You know, it's something that we try to do. Likewise on our end, there's, you know, also limitations to how many of those firearms we can purchase and hold. <laughs> the one nice thing with it is those competition level firearms hold their value pretty well. So essentially if anybody buys one and, you know, four or five years down the road, they're like, ah, I'm not doing this as much. I don't, I don't need to have this specific piece can always sell it to another athlete. And there is, do you pick them up? What, there's the shop that does the custom stocks in West Yellowstone. Is it, is it kind of like there are on shoots would, would make, you know, certain hardware and then you can do, you know, decide on the stocks and, and the sites, that sort of thing. Or how do you build something like that? To keep it as simple as possible, you can do a full package through on shoots. The way they sell them isn't just a fully complete firearm. It's like you get the stock, one rifle and a front sight. You have to buy a rear sight, you have to buy three more magazines, you have to buy a harness, you have to buy slings. But you can get the whole package through on shoots, everything goes together very easily. You can start to swap out other specific pieces of hardware, um, whether it's uh, specific sight parts, whether it's slings, harnesses, all the way down to more custom stocks that people might be choosing to use. So on shoots, and there's a few dealers in the U.S. kind of, I say, locally, you know, two and a half hours down the road in West Yellowstone. Uh, Mark Shepard and Altius is a great resource for just something nearby for us. The fact that we can actually kind of go and look at and put your hands on something is unique. Otherwise, there's several other on-shoots dealers in the country. Out east, there's uh, another company called Lost Nation R&D based in Craftsbury, Vermont. And he was uh, another former biathlete. And he's been he's developed a new kind of a more modular adjustable stock system that's quite a bit less than going with any other kind of packaged stock option or custom stock option. You know, that's been a nice addition. They've also been spending a lot of time working on making essentially adapter pieces to make something like a Savage Mark II rifle that's a significantly less expensive firearm to begin with uh a little bit more functional to do the sport of biathlon so we actually have uh that's something that a few masters have chosen to purchase because they're like you know what yeah i can spend twelve hundred dollars on a firearm that lets me you know be participating in the sport a little bit you know more in its like true sense but you know what i really don't need to spend five thousand dollars on this right now so that that's been like kind of a nice uh, a little stepping stone in there. And but, what are the other re- technical requirements? Is there a, a weight requirement and a, does it have to be an open site? Dealing with the winter would be a challenge with any sort of lens. Most of our firearms for that we use for competition that anybody would be carrying have snow covers on them to cover up the rear sight and the front sight just to try to limit the amount of stuff we get stuck in the sights. You know, just yesterday we had youth practice up here and it was snowing like crazy and sure enough you know some of our 
youth rifles don't have snow covers on them and you know the rifles start getting filled up with snow <laughs> so it's a you know it's one of the environmental challenges with the sport so that's definitely a difference compared to most firearms we do have a weight restriction and again i'd have to go to the ibu website to get this spot on but it's right around seven kilos i think it's actually just a whisker under so it's a minimum weight that your rifle has to clear our ammunition has to be considered a standard velocity it can be a high velocity round and that's due to the targets that we're actually shooting at whether they're what we call a falling target which is what we have out here where it's a metal plate that's on a balance point that when it gets hit tips over and a white paddle closes it or there are some electronic targets that use a pressure plate that you shoot and that's what actuates the paddle to close those are all set so that if you get 50 percent of that bullet or more to strike the plate it should close the target um, so the velocity just comes into place where if you're shooting a higher velocity round and you shave not quite 50% of that bullet in there, it's going to still trigger the target. So during competitions, they'll actually have a chronograph set up and they can be like, hey, let me see some of your ammo but out of your magazine and they'll put it in a put it in a firearm and shoot it through a chronograph to actually measure the speed of it. Most of the time, it's not ever really a huge concern that we have because most target ammos are a standard velocity because as the velocity increases, typically the consistency of one round to the next mm -hmm. starts to vary a little bit more. So the benefit is, isn't necessarily really there for somebody to shoot a higher velocity round. Otherwise for other restrictions or specifications on the firearm is we have what you would refer to as a standing block. So when, when somebody's in the offhand or standing position, uh, the stocks are actually, if you look at a traditional firearm, you know, you just see like the narrow wood stock. And on a biathlon rifle, that wooden part of the stock can be much deeper right. because of the way we hold the rifle in a standing position. That used to be, uh, they just changed. It used to be 12 centimeters from the center of the barrel. So, you know, center of the bore in the barrel to the bottom of your stock could not be more than 12 centimeters. Just last season, uh, they extended that to 14 centimeters. And that's just to accommodate for uh, essentially everybody's body type. Some people have really long arms or really tall torsos and making just trying to make it so that people can get into a good stable standing position. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about the the course. What What is a typical biathlon course and what is the terrain like and, and that sort of thing? Now we have a single range and we ski consistent loops from that point. So depending on the competition type, it's gonna vary what length course that we would be doing. So depending on competition and age and gender, it affects which course you would do. We'll do anything from the shortest races we do are what we'd refer to as uh, a two-stage race. So we just shoot twice and have to ski three laps. Um, those would be our sprint races, a relay race, or a super sprint qualifier, um, which is a newer competition, or we go up to what we'd refer to as a, a four stage race, which is then we're shooting four times, skiing five laps. Um, and those are our pursuits, mass starts, individuals, or super sprint finals. So our course will vary anywhere from essentially one kilometer for younger age groups 
all the way up to our longest course that we get to use as a four kilometer course. And these are just one time around the lap. That four kilometer is only used for senior men's individual. So our, our race distances will go from, you know, from our novices doing three kilometers to essentially Olympic level, World Cup level, men's individual is a 20 kilometer race. Otherwise, the course itself follows similar specifications that cross country courses now have to follow. So there is a essentially a homologation process. And we're doing this right now. This summer we were digging our new new courses for the new facility that we need to be meeting certain specifications. So depending on the length of each individual lap and the length of the total race, we have to make sure that we meet a minimum amount of climbing. So how many how many times do I have to go up a hill? Essentially, how many meters do I have to keep doing that? And between Nordic and biathlon, things vary a little bit, but they're essentially the same. So we will have specifications to the length, to the total climbing that will happen on the course, to what our most challenging or what we would refer to as an A climb uh, that's on the Nordic side. But, you know, essentially the like how big of a single hill do we have and course width that we need to be able to accommodate depending on what sort of a race we're doing. Essentially, the bigger the race and the more people we're going to have out on a course, the wider the trail has to be. Essentially, it's just trying to guarantee that at any point, somebody will have like a fair opportunity to be able to continue to move forward in the race and not get stuck behind people because the trail's not wide enough. So what sort of skier, Nordic skier, makes the best biathlete? Is it really like more sprint, high velocity? And I assume all of the races are uh, freestyle? When they made the switch from large caliber to 22, they also made the switch from traditional skiing, classic skiing, to freestyle completely. So now all of our races are just skate skiing. As far as the best Nordic skier type that transitions to biathlon, I've seen people who are really good sprint racers who've been able to transition into it. I've seen people who are really great distance classic skiers that have been able to transition into it. Usually, you know, it's from the physical end of it. Yeah, we need somebody who's, you know, a strong, fit, capable skier. The races tend to unfold slightly, I say slightly differently. It's, you know, a similar thing. Like in a Nordic race, you're going to pace your way through the race. In a biathlon race, you're still doing the same thing, but you're, you're kind of pacing your way through how you want to ski each lap, but also how does your first lap to your first lap, uh, first to second, to third to fourth lap vary from the perspective of you have to come back to the range and have some hope of being able to hit the target. Um, so there's always that variation of how people are pacing. So a lot of it actually, in my mind, comes back to people's mental approach for stuff some people are you know had an athlete years ago where we joke with them essentially the shooting part was that was an interruption in their ski race <laughs> so they were they were just trying to get through it and get back to skiing which you know they had some success with that for sure you know a strong skier can do certain things in a biathlon race but people who have mindset for kind of the process oriented part of training and working on biathlon as well as the ability to kind of process that stuff throughout a race, not coming in and, okay, if I, you know, somebody who, you know, would shoot and struggle in one stage, and then if that's going to weigh on them too much and then make it so they don't ski as well, 
they don't ski as fast they ski too hard they're still focused on that bad stage the next time they come in to shoot those tend to be the pieces that are the most significant in having somebody be able to transition into biathlon so it's a lot more of the mental approach to how they execute a, a race and, and what is the, the mental strategy in, in the physiology of when you're pulling into you know to go shoot the targets in terms of like do you want to start slowing down and get your heart rate down and you're going to shoot between breaths or heartbeats or what do you what do you try to focus on yeah the the comments i i love that you'll tend to hear on somebody announcing that may not spend a ton of time around the sport and they're like yeah it's incredible how much they can just drop their heart rate like that to shoot and it's like no they don't <laughs> there's only so much you can actually do on that end so it's a lot of training and learning to be able to shoot with a higher heart rate under duress and know what that's going to feel like. With that said, yes, as they're approaching the range and everybody's a little bit different, it might be 50 meters out from the range or 150 meters out from the range, or, you know, for most people it varies depending on the course. Do I have to ski all the way uphill to the range? If that's the case, I can't stop skiing too early because I'm just walking up the hill and everybody's skiing away from me and I'm losing a ton of time. If it's a downhill to the range, you know, you can definitely pull back on your effort a bit earlier. So there's a little bit of that mental prep, you know, from a set distance prior to the range that people will be going through. And part of that is working on taking some relaxed breaths, starting to focus on other things that are around you. Uh, you're usually trying to pick up uh, what's the, what are the range flags doing? Um, you know, and I'm saying to start with range flags, like whether it's the big red flag that's indicating the range is open it's a big race. They'll tend to be nation flags on flagpoles behind the range. What do those look like? And then as you get closer into the range, you start looking lower at the level of the targets and you're looking at all the wind flags set in the range to see, you know, what are, what are the conditions like? Then it's a matter of, you know, you're going to be selecting what, what point you're on for your shooting style, if it's prone or standing. So during their training, they're spending a lot of time practicing shooting at easy intensities no intensity, just learning to take good shots and then starting to ramp it up to higher and higher intensities so that during a race, hopefully they're not having to lay down on the mat or stand there for too long to let things settle down and they can kind of get started with their shooting process. The key with a lot of that is just having a really consistent process that they're practicing. So every time I get on the mat and I'm going to shoot prone, I'm going to have a certain set of steps that I go through the way I get set up. Once I hit the mat, how many breaths do I take? Look through my sights. And then it's this very consistent rhythm. You know, it's um, when we're looking at international events, the, we actually get information from, okay, how long from when they hit the mat to when they took their first shot, okay? How long was it from the first shot to the second shot, second to third, third to fourth, fourth to fifth? And that timing between all those shots ends up getting really, really consistent because most people will be, shooting on a cadence where I'm going to take two breaths. And at the end of that second breath, I'm taking my shot because I know because I've practiced it enough times that I should be coming onto the target. And at that point, my trigger will be ready. I'll wait till I see it. Just pause for a second, take my shot and then move on. Um, so it's just a lot of practice dealing with what that's going to look like. If I'm, again, if I just walk up onto the range, my breathing rate's gonna be a lot slower, my heart rate's slower. So that I'll still shoot on the same cadence where I'll take two breaths, but the time between those two breaths will be a little bit longer.
as I go harder, I'll still shoot on two breaths, but the time between those two breaths will get closer as I'm going. And as when people are younger, we'll tend to have a little more variation with, okay, we'll say, you know, you're going to take three breaths or four breaths or whatever it ends up being. That gives them enough time to have all the other parts of shooting in the right spot. And then as they get older and faster with all of it, essentially they'll start taking out the number of breaths. Eventually a lot of, you know, the world cup athletes that you'll be watching, they're just taking one breath between shots and it's happening relatively quickly. And they've just gotten really used to how quickly that process happens while they're trying to go hard. Because the other piece that's going on during this is yes, hitting the targets, super important. But once you get to a certain level, the expectation is everybody's hitting the target. Everybody's hitting all of the targets. So we're not having to deal with penalties. So if I spend 45 seconds laying on the mat, trying to get my shots off, but the person next to me only spends 35 seconds doing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, they have a 10 second advantage already. So we're trying to work on, again, not having to slow it down too, too much. Um, Trying to get to that spot where we have good consistent process. We're going to hit the target, but being as efficient with it as possible. So how do you approach the training? Is it, um, do you separate out the shooting and the skiing or do you always do it together so that you can work on the breathing or is it, as it happens, there's a progression through the season. It is very similar to, um, I would say, physical training from the perspective of there's a progression throughout the year. You know, when we're talking about physical training, we're dealing with, you know, like early season adaptation to getting back into it, to building volume, to starting to work on speed and real specificity of stuff. Shooting goes through a similar process where early in the season, and this is speaking mostly to people who've been doing the sport for a while early in the year is when we're doing an assessment of okay do we have to change any like structural parts of your process adjust your rifle change your rifle change your position any of these things and so we have an adaptation with that where it's mostly separate training physical or shooting and they'll work through that for a bit and try to get comfortable with any changes that we've had and then we're just working on grinding in a good consistent shooting process. So again, every time somebody goes and gets on a mat, we have pretty high confidence that the shots are going to all happen in a very similar manner. We're looking at, uh, we do some monitoring where we're doing scored shooting and we're looking to see obviously those scores increasing as we work through that process. Then, you know, as we get into what we'd kind of call a volume chunk from a physical perspective, that's when you know, we have a bit of a similar thing going on for shooting. We kind of increase our round count so that, you know, people have to essentially we're starting to work on how long can somebody be focused very intently while they're shooting, while they're tired to keep that good process as they're kind of working through it. And then as we get later into the season, like we just start to pick up more of the speed with the process and shooting with intensity as we get closer and closer to actual competitions. In the summertime, what that actually ends up looking like varies a lot as far as for us right now, you know, we don't have a roller loop for our ranges. So everybody's on foot or on bikes. Yesterday, people were actually on skis, <laughs> skiing around and doing it. But during the summer, you know, we'll have a similar trajectory to early in the year it tends to be mostly on foot. Given you know, the choice to be able to do anything we want <laughs> training wise, you know, we'll tend to 
start on foot, spend most of our time there. And then as we get more into the year, we tend to become more specific with our training. So more and more time on roller skis. Just two weeks ago, we were down in Utah at Soldier Hollow, specifically so that we could be on roller skis on a range, getting this introduction back to this is the, the, the full sport. We're on skis, we have poles, we have a rifle, we have to know how to deal with everything. But then, you know, the, the year starts to follow a pretty similar path as far as it just gets much more event specific. Intensity increases, our, you know, speed with what we're trying to do increases. Um, and during the year, we'll have some occasional periods where we'll step back a little bit, both physically as well as on the shooting side where it's, uh, okay, we need to train a little volume again, <laughs> just so we have <laughs> the ability to get through the entire season as my, typically it will be as my energy, my fatigue, my focus starts to wane. And they, they usually follow a pretty similar trajectory. If I start getting really tired, my focus tends to go and then my shooting tends to go. So then that's when we need to have like a little bit of a step back and make sure we recover and get a little bit of time to reset and kind of train back into stuff. So I was talking to Andy Newell earlier in, in the process of making this book and he was mentioning about the actual, like you're talking about paving the course at Crosscut, you know, for summer training. Can you talk a little bit about the development uh, and plans at the Crosscut facility and how that impacts biathlon? This coming summer is going to be a, Big summer for us. I say fingers crossed is, is hopefully everything, all the steps start to line up really well. This summer, we started uh, the beginning of what we were referring to as phase one. So for us, phase one is, um, and you you know Crosscut facility fairly well as far as what was Bohard and what was previously Bridger Property. Uh, I forget what the organization was that owned it after Crosscut Ranch, but so the new venue and facility is going to be on that what was Crosscut Mountain Ranch years ago. This year we started digging the new comp trail, so we went out to what our three point three length course will be, and that we'll have cut throughs and connectors that will do everything from the three three, a three, a two five, a two, a sprint course, and a one k, and then an eight hundred meter uh, para loop as well, and then from that. Next summer, it will be where our focuses are finishing off, cleaning up that loop and getting the portion that we're going to have paved, paved. So we have a roller ski track that is on ski terrain. Big difference with that is when we're roller skiing on roads, all that pavement is built around being able to drive cars and trucks and stuff like that on it. So grades are tend to be consistent and a little bit more gradual. Ski trails, we deal with a little more up and down and steep terrain and stuff like that. So we wanted to mimic our what a ski course would actually end up looking like and it gets us out of traffic. So after, you know, continuing to work on the race loops, get what we're going to have for our paved loop paved. The longest loop will be about three kilometers in total. We're probably going to have about four kilometers of pavement that's going to be set down with the loops and the cut throughs. Then we're going to be working on building our stadium and our new biathlon range next summer. So that's, that's just a lot of dirt moving to start with and how that's going to change from the biathlon side of things is right now we have a 12 point range that we can't roller ski on and we're just limited by space. It's served us well, but you know, it's looking at this winter, we're, it's a scheduling game of trying to be able to fit everybody in on it. 
So next summer we'll be building a 30 point biathlon range. And that stadium that gets built with it is going to be the same stadium that gets used for Nordic competitions, biathlon competitions, ski lessons during the week. Um, you know, it ends up providing like a nice big kind of focal point, but that 30 point range, you know, I mean, it's, it changes everything from the perspective of, you know, we'll have a paved range that we'll be able to use year round, be able to train really specifically for that all the time on the Nordic side, we'll have a great place to essentially be doing more specific ski training without having to deal with cars and traffic and, you know, always hunting for what will be suitable terrain for us to train on. And then, you know, as we look further out with it, it's going to also be the aspect of we want to bring more and more of our competitions here locally. I mean, that's everything from, you know, what we were describing earlier with the uh, citizen events to expose people to the sport and let them try it all the way to having international competitions, both Nordic and biathlon here locally. And Bozeman's a great spot for it. Honestly, it's travel is easy. The community is great. Scenery is wonderful. <laughs> like there's a lot of great reasons for us to keep working towards that end. And um, that's something that we really, really hope to see here before too, too long. This in this next year with with COVID and the pandemic and all this stuff going on and all your plans going on, what are you kind of the most excited about and the most anxious about in the next upcoming season? <laughs> For this coming season, I mean the the things that we're excited about, I mean, comes from even this last spring. I mean, it's I hear one of my coworkers downstairs, uh, uh, Nick Misha, works with us in the U.S. Paralympic program. He was in Quebec City with some of our athletes for their what would have been their first World Cup Nordic races ever when everything started getting shut down. We were running NCAAs here, and it was like that week, essentially, everything got canceled. And, you know, what, what our immediate response was, was that, you know what, we're going to keep grooming, facilities open, just come ski. You know, the response we started getting from that was, Fantastic. People were psyched that it was something that they were able to do, you know, get outside, get fresh air, not feel cooped up. And it's a little, you know, scary in a good manner to be looking at this coming winter, just from the perspective of, you know, we really hope that we get to, if nothing else, still play that role, you know, be a, a place that people can get out, have a great experience, get fresh air, be healthy and do all that stuff. That's, I would say, something that we're excited about and nervous on. Um, from a programming perspective, people are looking for things to be doing right now. So I think it's uh, everything from you know having our elite program, having our youth programs, having our citizens programs going right now is something that we're you know really looking forward to. Because again, even if you know worst case scenario, we really don't get to have the same sort of competitive year. Uh, from events, we're still in a spot where we get to continue to do our activities and we get to continue to do the work to move forward. With that said, you know, I, I would say that that is still one of our, you know, just things that, you know, we'd say people are nervous about going into this year is just, it's a little bit unknown from the perspective of if it's somebody who's, you know, really focused on um, the sport at a competitive level. It's a really challenging, it, it's, it's hard to be going into a year not knowing 
what opportunities you might be trying to qualify for, what races you may or may not be able to do. Um, this is something that Olympic and Paralympic committees had been looking at a lot pretty early on was, you know, when Tokyo was getting canceled and having athletes, essentially, you know, people were struggling a lot with motivation, desire to want to keep doing the sport. So that's definitely a, a hard piece, I think, for people. If we're, you know, we've, we've already seen events getting canceled. So, and we, we don't know if that's the end of it or not at this point. So, you know, that's definitely something I think people are a little nervous about. I think the, you know, again, just back to the, what we're looking forward to is the fact that we're pretty darn lucky around this area, just from the fact that, you know, we're in a spot where we can continue to do our activities, continue to work, to move forward. And also we're really not even that isolated from the perspective of, you know, this summer a few times, like, you know, reach out to Andy, be like, there's no events going on. Okay. Well, can we get our groups together to train and essentially create our own little events to still have that, like that part of it there for people. So the fact that, you know, we're able to do this in Bozeman is huge. And, and what, what do you love the most about biathlon? I mean, the, I, I would say the thing that I think is the the greatest about the sport is it's super engaging for people it's the thing where last summer it was last summer we did a program with byep big sky youth empowerment and it's you know very not related to the typical competitive side of biathlon that we'd typically be doing but you know i was speaking with their instructors afterwards and they were saying you know they're like that was awesome because it was the most engaged that their, you know, their students had been for any of their experiences that they typically go to. They're like, oh yeah, we get to go down to Big Sky and go alpine skiing, you know, throughout the winter. And they're like, yeah, you know, essentially we spend a lot of the time where it's like they they just as soon hang out in the lodge and be on some technology. Whereas essentially throughout the sessions, everybody by the end of it was running around, being goofy actually participating which was awesome and i think that generally holds true for the sport kind of across the board like when people you know get introduced to biathlon and have you know some people don't have the inclination where they're like nope like i, I don't have any interest in that i want to go ski but that's what i want to do great that's fine the people who do end up kind of getting hooked it's it's just that it's it's engaging from that perspective of it's enough you know, it, it's different enough that that hooks people at times. And personally, like that's one thing that I always end up thinking is really cool. And I've seen it a lot with our adult program here in the last couple of years. We get a little bit broader of a spectrum of participants than you might get just in a, well, honestly, master's or youth ski program. Like you're going to get, you know, people who've been introduced to the sport through similar channels and then you know biathlon it will be a you know kid whose family loves sporting stuff like they like shooting and then they'll get introduced to it and they're like okay well i i kind of like skiing as well actually i'm pretty good at that and they'll get hooked in it or the adults that were nordic skiers but they just wanted another reason to kind of like get out the door and like go do something with their acquaintances so we have a lot of people that yeah they were nordic skiers they would tend to just ski on the town trails but then they get introduced to the adult program and you know what 
now they come up here. Yeah, they'll come up on Sunday mornings to shoot with the adult program, but I'll see them up here on Saturday just skiing or on the night skiing nights up here just so they can go ski because they're like, oh, well, now I feel a little more connected to being at CrossCut as well. So it's it's just it's a different enough activity that it's pretty darn engaging for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm, I do not fall in the category of a, a, a oddly enough, a, a huge gun person. Like I, I appreciate it, but the other cool thing with it is, you know, we'll take people who have no experience with firearms at all. And it's just the, the setting for how they get to experience it is different enough where it's, you know, it's very clearly like the sporting aspect of it. And people who would not have ever tried doing something like that will try biathlon. So where can people go to learn more information, get more information about uh, the programs and biathlon in Bozeman? So the best spots to go through will be through the Crosscut Mountain Sports Center webpage and go through either programming for the programming end of it or events. As we get into the winter and we start putting up like our citizen events and stuff, mm-hmm. um, that's a great way for people to just see something to get a opportunity to try it out. If people then want to go, you know, they get more and more interested in the sport, then I encourage people to go to check out uh, US Biathlon, and that's on the teamusa.org page. And that covers everything from, you know, Olympic World Cup level information to how do you start a club kind of stuff through US Biathlon. And then otherwise, you know, it's we're relatively lucky as far as, you know, kind of locally, there are some other resources. Somebody starts getting way into it, eh, talk to Mark Shepard down at Altius Handcrafted Firearms, uh, kind of the YSF events down there as well. Thanks for reaching out. This is super fun and interesting. Visit crosscutmt.org for more information on programs and come back to thelastbestski.com for the scoop on skiing Southwest Montana. Until next time, happy trails.